Hi, this is Ivy Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. I'm also the host of Moms Don't Have Time to Lose Weight, and I'm the editor of the anthology, which you should run out and buy, called Moms Don't Have Time to, a quarantine anthology. All proceeds of that book go to COVID-19 vaccine research. And I'm the editor-in-chief of Moms Don't Have Time to Write, a new publication on Medium, and we're accepting submissions, so please send your personal essays there. And if all that isn't enough, you can follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens, and my website is zibbyowens.com. Okay, now back to this amazing podcast. Jane Nicole Jones is the author of Low Country, a memoir. She received an MFA in creative nonfiction from Columbia University in 2012 and has held editorial positions at Vice Magazine and VanityFair.com. Her essays and writing have appeared in Vice, VanityFair.com, the Harper's Magazine website, the Los Angeles Review of Books, Salon, the Paris Review Daily, and elsewhere. She lives in Brooklyn and Tennessee with her dog, Juno. This is her first book. Welcome, Nicole. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss Low Country by technically by J. Nicole Jones, but we're calling you Nicole. So. <laughs> oh, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here. I love your podcast. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad. Thanks for listening. Low Country, a Southern memoir. Can you please tell listeners what your book is about and what inspired you to write a memoir to begin with? Yeah. Well, my book is about growing up, about my life growing up in South Carolina, but I feel like my family is more the main character and and the the place itself and the history, I hope. And yeah, I have always loved memoirs and reading anything, but I I heard you call yourself a memoir addict with Cheryl Strait and another of yours. And I was like, me too, that's me. (laughs) So yeah, so I, I, you know, I think we often tend to read a lot of what maybe we are thinking about kind of always like turning into something bigger, you know, like little stories. And so I, yeah, I, I was just kind of grew up, I think, surrounded by people telling stories all the time. My dad is a songwriter and kind of often was turning little, just, I don't know, anything in our day into songs and, and then, you know, trying to make bigger stories into, you know, something memorable. And then South Carolina itself has such an interesting and rich and often dark history. And I, I felt like a lot of things that you sort of know are around always, especially in the land and the history of the land you learn about and then are not talked about, or I don't know, that there's like a lot of hidden violence around all the time down there is how it felt to me growing up. And especially in in my family, I saw my grandfather kind of be violent with my grandmother. And I think I was always sort of sorting out what was okay to talk about and what was not okay to talk about. And then you get older and you kind of think, well, what was actually happening and why shouldn't I have been talking about that? And that's what we need to be talking about. And so I think I just, yeah, reading lots of memoirs and, you know, essays and, you know, novels, of course, too, you just sort of start to organize things in your head and say, oh, yes, well, that's what was happening here. Or, or no, no, this is, you know, something else is going on with that. And so I think I just, yeah, kind of started putting my own stories together, having kind of grown up in that framework of connection. So awesome. Well, tell me a little about 
your, so your dad, there was a scene in the book where you're listening to a song on the radio with your dad. And then you have a sort of fast forward years ahead when your dad has now written a song performed by the son of the artist who (laughs) you had been listening to. I'm not telling the story. You did it beautifully in like a sentence and I just mess it up, but (laughs) explain that whole thing and how you, because in the book, we kind of go along the journey of your dad trying to make it right over and over. And then you give us this little sneak peek into the fact that he does sell a song and it is exciting. So tell me a little bit about that part and even the effect on you of having of watching your dad's repeated, you know, trips to Memphis and trying to, you know, trying to make it and and going along with the success when it eventually comes. So tell me a little more about that, if you don't mind. Yeah. I mean, music was always country music. He's a country music singer, songwriter, kind of always, always around, you know, the radio was always on and he had turned our garage when I was growing up into like a makeshift recording studio and yeah, we would listen, you know, it would always, you know, well, this is Elvis and this is, you know, Hank Williams and, this, you know, George Jones. And, you know, those were very much in our vocabulary growing up as kids, you know, when, you know, you're not in charge of the radio, <laughs> you just kind of have to listen to what's on. And yeah, my, we grew up on the coast of South Carolina in, in Myrtle Beach, just where he grew up. And, but he would take periodic trips to Nashville, Tennessee, which is, you know, along you know, way away. And yeah, I knew it wasn't Memphis. Did I say Memphis? I knew it wasn't Memphis. I'm sorry. Okay. Nashville. No, no, no. Sorry. Yeah. And yeah, try and sell songs to music houses. And back then I think you, you made cassettes like demo cassettes and left them in baskets on music row. All the publishing houses were in these old, old houses. And that's not how I do it anymore, but I guess. So yeah, so, you know, he was a bartender often in the evenings and waited tables and in the morning sometimes. And in the daytime, he was home with us a lot and would write, you know, he'd be kind of working on a turn of phrase or, you know, something on his guitar and, you know, be like, oh, like, listen to this and which do you like better? And, you know, bring me the rhyming dictionary or the thesaurus, you know, and so yes, it's a big moment, I think, to realize that someone that you've really idolized, you know, or someone who was a, a big deal, you know, Hank was a big deal in country music. And then he, not to give too much away, but yeah, he, he goes to Nashville repeatedly and, and ends up there when I'm an adult and kind of makes it and, and sells a song to Hank Williams Jr. And that ends up on the radio. And yeah, we kind of have a relationship that's sort of on and off in the book. And yeah, it's, it's very interesting to hear kind of tidbits of your life and, and songs, you know, like I know that, you know, you're supposed to be singing about my mom right now, or uh, I remember when that happened, or that's the, you know, the truck that is, you know, in that verse. So it's very, yeah, it's kind of funny. Very surreal. Yeah. So neat. I've never sort of spoken to anyone who that's happened to before. So that's very neat. (laughs) Unique experience. You also talk a lot or not a lot, but you, you introduce us to you in the book and explain how you had been in Myrtle Beach and then you end up at this more prestigious prep school. And so your life takes on a different trajectory than a lot of your original classmates who some of whom have ended up in prison or who are still in Myrtle Beach and all the rest. So tell me a little bit about sort of that fork in the road and how your life veered to a different, towards a different direction when you moved to Charlotte. Yeah, man. 
did you know about my whole life? Um, <laughs> yeah, we, we moved from Myrtle Beach to Charlotte when I was starting high school. And I decided that I wanted to kind of unilaterally go to kind of a, a college prep school. And like from my middle school in Myrtle Beach, wrote and asked for all these applications and materials and things. And, and then I actually started to get in. And, you know, it, it was one of those double-edged things. I was very excited and very, very, very lucky and, and of immense privilege to be able to do that. And I was surrounded by, you know, books. I had wonderful teachers who, you know, gave us, I think I was very aware that South Carolina, I was, you know, starting to feel like I was not being taught things that I wanted to be aware of, or I was aware that there was more that I wanted to know. And so I was very lucky to be able to go to like a, a a fancy school that, you know, I feel like I don't belong here. Kind of the first experience of, well, I, I sound different and I think I look different and my, you know, clothes are different and there's a lot of catching, catching up to do. But I, I think that was my first real introduction to kind of class differences that, you know, it's like a naive kid you don't realize are there, you know, I was just like, I'm, I'm going to go read read with people who love books too, you know, and then there's a lot of, yeah, well, we don't wear overalls here or, you know, your accent is thicker than ours. And so, yeah. (laughs) Tell me a little more about what the writing process did for you, especially as you describe it with going through some of the secrets in your family's, you know, I would say, I want to say treasure chest, but that's the wrong analogy. The, the, the things you keep under wraps that you explore in the book and what it felt like to write about it and to get it out there into the world now. Yeah. It's something that I've been writing for, I mean, sort of my whole life. I think just listening to, you know, people tell stories, but especially the women in my life tell stories, my grandmother in particular. And so I, you know, was always writing down things that she was saying or stories that felt, you know, that I couldn't believe had happened to her. You know, like at one point she she decides to leave my violent grandfather and she gets, you know, as far as a few hours away and she gets stopped for no reason in in her car and a police officer tells her she's going home and follows her all the way back to, you know, her house. So just things like that, that you hear and you think that can't, how can that happen? And so I just started, you know, at some point writing things like that down. And yeah, I actually wrote a whole a whole draft of this book and had it stolen from my car a couple of years ago. What? Um, I know, yeah. From yeah, I went to an IKEA for like 20 minutes and our car was broken and when we got back and my computer and my, you know, legal pads, notebooks were all gone. And so I kind of stopped writing for a, a few months. And, and you, had, you didn't have a backup or a copy, nothing. No. Oh I'm, my gosh. Did that break your heart? I, I mean, what did you, yeah. how did you handle that? That's like, back up your work. folks. Yep, yep. Yeah, not, a, <laughs> not a drill. So it was devastating. Yeah. I stopped writing for, you know, months. I, you know, felt like I was really, really close and then, you know, had nothing. And and then my, my grandmother died kind of suddenly and, and I just found myself writing and writing and writing. And it was just like, I need to get her voice down and I need to get these things down that I remember. And I had little, you know, snippets, you know, I had 
you know, things that I had written in grad school that some were in my Gmail and some were not. And, you know, it was a lot of piecing together very, very old things and, and starting over from there. But so I thought I would let the book go for a long time. And then I lost her and just really needed to hear her voice again. And so I started writing just to remember her stories and her voice really in this world that, you know, doesn't exist anymore. And so I think that was the real, yeah, kind of turning point in thinking that this book is going to be how it is now. And I need to actually get it, get it out there and save everything in the cloud and, you know, backup hard drive, all of that. Yeah. Well, I guess in a way, getting the chance to rewrite history literally can be a bonus, right? You could experiment with the material and then remember what you really want to include. And I don't know, it's like a, a tough, tough love writing exercise or something. I don't recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> But yeah, I think it really helped me to figure out why I was telling the story. You know, yeah, I think I grew up with these fantastical tales that felt very close to me. You know, my my family has a lot of interesting, weird, unusual experiences. And then growing up in South Carolina, there, where you are surrounded by, you know, like, well, this is where, you know, this, this pirate landed or, you know, I think things feel history feels very near, but also very hushed up sometimes. And so you're not sure what is, what is real sometimes and what is just a story and, you know, what part of a story might have been real and what might have been kind of made up or altered just through people telling things over and over again. So I think I had always been writing those down because it was interesting to me and fun for me to as a reader to think of those things. And then when I had to start over, it really was, like you said, like a, I'm choosing to rewrite some of this history. And I, I felt really f- focused on why I was writing. Well, I guess that's one, one piece of advice is, <laughs> you know, really, well, back up, but, rem- you know, sort through the material of your life and, figure out what gets through the strainer and twice if you will so many times <laughs> what tell me about your publication journey how did this sell and what was that like for you it took it took a while you know i it took a while to find the right agent and i was sending you know once i had a, a draft that you know i had rewritten and felt kind of more strongly about or like i just need like i just had this like need to get to get it out there to, sh- to share and have, have people telling me what, what needs, you know, fixing or, so I, I started sending it out and I got such wonderful notes from, from agents who, who didn't, you know, who, you know, didn't feel it was right for them to take on. But I, I mean, I can't say enough nice things about how kind and generous people, you know, that you don't know that you're just cold emailing were, you know, with me and this, Book. And so it took me about a year and a half to find the right agent. And so, you know, that's really hard, even if you're getting nice, kind words back from, from people who, who don't have to send you anything at all. And so my agent and I went through and she's very hands-on and wonderful and did an edit and, and sent that out. And yeah, and it ended up with Catapult and my editor, Mega Magenta, who is herself like a 
star novelist too. So, and I again can't say enough nice things about Catapult and Mega and just how generous people have been in the publishing world. You know, it's just been lots and lots of really kind people who like books and have been so helpful. So yeah, I mean, it, it felt like it was taking a long time, you know, when you're in it and you're like, I want this to happen. But I guess if I could go back in time, that would be something I would tell myself, you know, as a grad student writing, you know, a thesis that was like sort of this, you know, I would say that it, you know, takes the time that it takes. And I'm really happy that I didn't sell something right out of school. You know, I, I think that with memoir in particular, I think time might be better to really kind of get that perspective and not even, I don't know, people talk a lot about like the double perspective with memoir. You like talk about what's happening and then reflect on, you know, what it means or why or the consequences. And I mean, there's so many more, there's so many meanings, you know, it's more than just two. So I, I'm very, very glad that the book took the journey that it did to publication. And you mentioned how much you love reading memoir. Are there one or two or three that you have as like your favorite memoirs or that you're reading now or just something <laughs> that stuck with you? Oh my gosh. I mean, there's so many. I mean, I could just list and list. I mean, from like the past year, gosh, the Dragons, the Giant the Women, the Way Too More book is just, I mean, like, wow. And yeah, Wandering in Strange Lands, I read thinking about my book and the history. And I mean, it's just beautiful. And um, Justin Taylor had a memoir last year called Writing with the Ghosts. That was just wonderful. And I mean, in terms of favorites, I read The Woman Warrior that Maxine Hong Kingston won a lot. I give that a lot as a gift. I hand that out a lot. Yeah, Cheryl Straits is, you know, like such a classic yeah, so, so, so many. My father and myself, the J.R. Ackerley book, that's like the New York Review of Classics put that out, you know, about a decade ago. And that's wonderful. Yeah, so many. Excellent. Awesome. So any parting advice for aspiring authors? I know you've already included a bunch, but. Uh, I mean, keep going. I think like really just keep going. Like sometimes you, it's the time in your life to have a day job and to just kind of take care of yourself and just know that it's always there and to, you know, carve out that 20 minutes in the morning or, you know, or don't, or if you need to take more time and just really come back to something at a more focused period, then that's fine too. I think every book takes the right journey that it's supposed to have maybe to where it ends up. So yeah, don't give up, but also back up your work. (laughs) (laughs) Number one lesson. Awesome. What about do you have memoirs that you've been reading that have really stayed with you lately? Oh so many. Lately, I don't know. I mean, I always reference Danny Shapiro because I love her as like a one of the best memoirists. I just love how she writes and I don't know. I hate to even pick. Now, I know that's a cop-out of an answer, but, you know, I'm actually reading now this other book because I'm about to interview her, but it's called You're Leaving When Adventures in Downward Mobility by Annabelle Gerwich. And it's hilarious, although also sad. (laughs) And I think right now I'm just in the mood for some funny stuff as well, right? I like to mix in sort of sad and deep and emotional with some lighter, you know, I just appreciate a sense of humor as well. So um, that one's a very... It's a funny look at a sad situation, I guess is how I would say it. And I've been reading her books for a long time. So 
was excited that yeah. she had a new one coming up. So I guess I'd say that. Anyway, thank you so much for coming on Moms and I Have Time to Read Books. Thank you. I'm excited for your publication journey with Low Country to come to, you know, the the, the finish line where it actually starts over <laughs> with a new journey. So congratulations. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me. You know, I, I feel like I've been listening to you a lot in the pandemic. So I feel like you've been sort of in the zone already here with, with me. So oh. <laughs> I'm glad fun. I could uh, accompany you. <laughs> it's my pleasure. All right. Thank you so much. Okay. Take care, Nicole. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music.